Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. You can read all of our stories over at the MichiganInsider.com and Michigan.247Sports.com. Got some news stories today because there is there is news. Uh, Sean D. Brown, and, and that is pronounced Sean D., not Sean Day. I had that mistake, and I looked it up. It's Sean D. Uh, Wake Forest transfer has committed to Michigan. He averaged 12.1 points per game last season. Uh, you know, he's a six foot five, 220 pound kind of guard wing combo. I think Charles Matthews might be a positional comparison uh, where there, there are some guard elements, but there's also uh, some, some wing elements coming from Wake Forest. Uh, we had some crystal ball stories. Uh, I know, I know Brian Snow has come and dropped in his, his insight on, on some of the statistical elements that he brings. We'll talk about in this podcast, we'll talk about his fit. We'll talk about what this means, what it means for Michigan this year, what it means for Michigan the following year. Lots lots to unpack here. Um, so, Steve, I guess first we should just start with general impression. I, I don't imagine you were watching a ton of Wake Forest this past season, but he's had 13 20-point games, former top 50 recruit. I just looked it up. He actually played um, for a Miami AAU team, so maybe that is part of how Jawan Howard got got connected with him as as well as he did because for for a while Brown was in the portal. He had a top four of Gonzaga, LSU, Illinois, and I want to say Iowa State. And then Michigan snuck into that top. They, he they turned it into a top five last week. Now he's a Wolverine, and so clearly Michigan progressed quickly in this regard. But but I guess your thoughts on on the addition. Uh, in terms of what Brown brings, what kind of player he is, and then what what it entails for you for him committing today. Another uh, experienced addition. I always kind of I'm a big leaning. I'm big into leaning towards experience mm-hmm. with these types of pickups, just because you know, like you could talk about picking up the and ones, you know, the five stars recruiting all day. But honestly, and we talked about this before, it feels like year in and year out the teams that win the title or compete the the majority of the teams that compete do have some kind of veteran presence on their team. Now, right. I don't believe he has any tournament experience. Let's say I know Wake Forest has been pretty bad uh, the last few years, but ACC is a tough conference. I want to say in looking earlier that one of his best games of the year last year was against Duke. Yeah. 24 points, nine rebounds. Right. I believe. Yeah. So, you know, a guy that can step up in, in certain situations or whatever. And again, he's not going to have to be like the guy for Michigan. And that's one of the other things I'm interested with. I don't know if he was their best player last year. Again, I didn't really follow Wake Forest. Uh, there were two players that, that I would say were, were better. Um, Oliver Saar, who transferred to Kentucky, and then Brandon Childress. I, he might not be better. Maybe I, that's an inaccurate. But those were the two names that kind of stood out to me. Um, you know, Brown, Brown, Brown only started was related to injury. Uh, but yeah, it's not like they weren't completely leaning on him, but to get back to your point, uh, he, he's played a lot of games in his career for Wake Forest. I believe he's played in uh, over 70 games, you know, in terms of starts, uh, he's, he's been a starter all three years in some capacity. So this is a guy who does have quite a bit of experience. Well, that's big. You know, a three-year starter who was probably the second-best player on his team then, let's say. I, You know, 
Average double digits. Does not excel from the three-point line, but does shoot it. You know, so there is some threat from the outside. I don't think that alleviates the perimeter maybe concern or the desire to add another perimeter addition that we talked about mm-hmm. uh, with the Eastern edition last week. But, um, but yeah, good. No, good. I like this edition. I believe a lot of public, I think our publication, I think we had them at uh, one of the sec- second or third top remaining transfer target yep. left. Right. Yep. So can't, can't be too upset about that, you know, but biggest thing for me though, like I said, experience, I think you had another experienced guy, like you said, a guy who's average. I think he averages somewhere. I just looked about 29 minutes a game last year. You know, experience seems to be an all-purpose player. I'm not I'm not sure about his defensive ability, like we like we knew with Eastern, but um, but yeah, no, you hard to hard to complain about these additions. Yeah, that's kind of, and I think I think you you brought it up as you said he's not going to be the guy. I mean, this isn't going to be the the Sean D. Brown. Michigan basketball team, right? Like, I don't, I don't think anyone's saying they're going to make him shoot, you know, 15 to 20 times a game. Uh, certainly would be an interesting team if that was the case. And that's not a dig at Brown. It's just, that's not really the kind of player he has been at the power five level, but he's got really good athleticism. He's really strong. Uh, you know, he's, he's showed a little bit of toughness this year. I felt like, you know, in his rebounding and, and how he attacked the rim. That's that's a pretty good foundation to start. I mean, former, I believe he won Gatorade Player of the Year in Florida. I was just reading that. You know, former top 40 recruit. And really, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I included him in like four different stories I did, kind of looking at the top transfers on the market that Michigan might want to consider when they had these different departures or, or openings come up. And, and now he's, I mean, it's almost... He was he was very much exactly what Michigan was looking for. I think you're right, though. I think the shooting, three point shooting. I mean, he's a 32 percent three point shooter, uh, which is which is better than it was a couple years ago since they moved the three point line back. So he's really just below average, but still, um, you know, I, I guess maybe Charles Matthews' three point shooting was was in a similar boat where it just it's not. It's not the part of the game that that teams are that our opponents are scared of. But in theory, either he is playing this season if the, if he gets a waiver and he's like the fourth option on the team, that's a pretty good fourth option. Or he's waiting a year, developing his game, you know, hit hitting the Camp Sanderson development program, and maybe he gets even better. So yeah, I think seems like a high floor. I think that's always the concern. I think Michigan fans are maybe overly concerned about this, but the the Jerron Simmons kind of effect. A guy averages sixteen plus points a game for a for a mid major school. He comes to a power five school or a school like Michigan and and kind of disappears. It it's happened. I, you know, I remember uh, you know there there's been transfers that Michigan was in on and they ended up committing elsewhere and fans were all upset. And then those guys averaged like three points a game. So this, I don't think this is what that is. I, you know, the fact that he's done it, as you mentioned, Wake Forest, not not an especially good team. Their their Ken Palm rankings have been respectively 89th when he was a freshman, 174th when he was a sophomore, 103rd when he was a junior. So wow. it's 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 not great, but he does have um, you know high high scoring games. They actually beat Duke in double overtime, and he scored. 24 points on 12 shots, had nine rebounds, um, and 
And you know, he's, he actually did had a pretty good game against North Carolina too, uh, eleven and seven that week. So uh, I know he had a, he had some injuries this year. Scored twenty six points against Xavier, well, a NCAA tournament likely making Xavier team. So there, there's been some pretty good moments. Uh, he actually faced Mike Smith out of Columbia. I believe both of them scored 20 points in that game, oddly enough. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, to me, I think this is a really high floor addition, and he fits a role that they need, whether it's this year or next year. They need a little bit more in the backcourt. Now, it doesn't have to be you know, a true perfect shooting guard. I think he's more of a 2-3 hybrid, but that's something that they need. That is a role that, you know, we look at the roster and we say, well, they probably need somebody there because they're good at point guard. Uh, they're probably all set at power forward between Isaiah Livers and, and Brandon Johns and, and then the recruits. They're probably I, center. I can, see, I can see a little bit of uneasiness there because you don't know exactly how many minutes Austin Davis can give you. You don't know what Hunter Dickinson will look like as a freshman, but seem pretty content there. And then obviously at the three, when you have Franz Wagner, uh, feel feel decent there. So this this fills a, a void. I mean, at the two, you're either putting Eli Brooks a little out of position, you're putting a lot of pressure on Zeb Jackson's plate, or you're asking Adrian Nunez to play a bigger role than he's played before. So if he's eligible this year, I think he fills that role. But Steve, I, I don't know about you. I think this is very similar to the Nogel Eastern situation where it almost might be better for both parties if he's eligible for 2021-22 because that's one less recruit they have to get. Now, I know I know fans get really excited about recruits, but we talked about this a couple episodes ago in that, um, you know, recruiting after you get your starting five or your five guys at, or one guy at each position the next guy you're going to recruit, there's going to be a drop-off in, in rating. I mean, anyone who's, who's got 20, 30 power conference offers, they're not going to come to Michigan to be the sixth best recruit. It's going to be, it's going to be guys, you're not, you're not beating out other Big Ten opponents, I guess is how I would put it, with their third best recruit for your sixth best recruit. So it's, this, this helps kind of alleviate that. Plus, you don't necessarily want a team, I mean, in theory, in 2021, based on who I would project to be the starting five right now, they would re- be replacing all five starters. Because I would assume Franz Wagner would depart. I would project Hunter Dickinson, to, or actually Austin Davis, excuse me, to, to start at center. Well, I don't know how many minutes he would play. Isaiah Livers and, and so on. And Mike Smith at point guard. So you don't want to run into a situation where you're replacing all five starters and you don't know who you're replacing them with. This at least offers some, uh, some certainty or some clarity on, on who they have. So, Steve, I, your thoughts, better situation for him to be? I mean, I'm sure he wants to play. Nobody wants to sit out a year, especially when they're you know, 21 years old. But, yeah, it seems like either way, this, this is a beneficial pickup to Michigan. I guess, I mean, how could my answer be any different than it was with Eastern? I think it really comes down to when Juwan Howard, Martell, Phil Martelli, Saudi Washington, Howard Isley are, are in the office figuring out, you know, what kind of team they can field next year and, and can they contend? And if the answer is yes, I think you'd rather, you'd want Brown, you know, on your roster next year. I mean, your point, like, that's the thing. I think your point is like possibly the right one. I just think with this stuff, it always comes down to, 
you know, do they believe he could help now? You got to assume the answer is yes. Do we think we can contend at a conference and potentially national level? If the answer is yes, then I, I think you want him immediately eligible. I, I just, this is their third transfer pickup. You got to start to wonder and start to think that maybe every cycle, every year, there's going to be two or three transfer pickups at this point, the way that this, the portal continues to grow, mm-hmm. you know, and that that might just end up being, you know, it's going to really be the new recruiting. Yeah, you're still going to have to recruit kids coming out of high school, obviously. But like you said, you don't want to take a seven-man high school class. So you basically look for a couple each year that can fit that potential immediate eligibility. And maybe they, ch- if I don't know when that is rule is up again for vote as far as, uh, you know, having an immediate eligibility regardless of your situation. But if that ever comes to fruition, then I think, I think that's really going to become the new norms. You're going to see programs take a couple guys each, each cycle. So uh, yeah, I mean, unless they, don't think they want to take any transfers next year, which I just don't foresee them sitting down saying, no, we're not taking any transfers next year, no matter what. You know, I think if they think Brown can help them compete for the Big Ten next year, I think he's somebody that they would want eligible right away. You know, but I do, but I do say I agree with you 100% about the, uh, you don't want to take seven, eight guys in a recruiting class because mm-hmm. it's, it's you, you're probably not going to get seven or eight guys to commit in a recruiting class nowadays. Unless Mm -hmm. unless, you said, I think the drop off from recruit four to recruit seven and eight would be massive. I mean, you'd have to be taking huge swings for the couple big swings for the swing for the fences type Mm -hmm. guys at seven and eight to get them on board with, like you said, if you have five or six guys ahead of you that are more established, maybe better prospects. It's going to be hard to want to sign on. So I do see it from that point. I just got to think that the mindset is uh, whatever helps us compete for the Big Ten. Can we compete for the Big Ten? We'll go from there. Right. Real quick on on uh, Shondi Brown's eligibility. By the oh, real qu- even quicker. I did look it up. November tenth, twenty nineteen. Columbia played Wake Forest. The final score was sixty five sixty three. So a pretty low scoring game. One hundred and twenty eight points scored combined. Mike Smith and Shondi Brown combined for 43 of those points. They both had 20-point games. So just a, a just a, might be a game to find in the old uh, the old archives and right on if you want a <laughs> little two for one there. Exactly. So anyway, um, on Brown's eligibility because you know we we don't know we don't know what the what the case will be, but a couple things to note: one, the NCAA has. Well, they still technically could vote. I believe it's, it's like later this week, isn't it? Next week, maybe, um, that they vote. I think it's May 24th. But they vote on, will they allow this one-time transfer? I, it's been recommended by, by whichever committee was supposed to send recommendations from the NCAA. It's been recommended not to vote it this month and to instead push it back, allow for a little bit more discussion about you know, the, the, the different rules and how to mitigate um, you know, mitigate disaster, I guess, with the rule. So I, I wouldn't expect it to be voted, but in that recommendation, they did say, we recommend the NCAA be lenient, especially this offseason in regards to um, COVID-19 related transfers. Now, I don't, 
imagine Brown. I don't know if Brown qualifies under that. I don't know enough about his situation. One area that he could probably get eligibility with the snap of a finger is if he can somehow prove his transfer was related to Danny Manning's in, impending departure. Now with Brown, unlike a couple other players, a couple of his teammates who hit the portal, um, he entered the portal 10 days before Manning got fired. So I, I think he would have to show that there was some sort of text message or speculation that spurred it. Little, little over our heads, but I, I did want to provide, those are two avenues that he could maybe try to provide an update on. I don't know if, um, I don't know if it'll go through. I don't have any guesstimation. I, I, every transfer, I think, in the portal, I would say is 50-50. Um, just because I, we don't know exactly how the eligibility waivers are going to be utilized this year. But regardless, I, I think this is a, a significant pickup. Obviously, we're doing a whole podcast around it. And, and I think the one thing, and you kind of started to talk about it, Steve, is clearly Jawan Howard doesn't mind be, being aggressive in the portal. I mean, I think John Beeline, I think he's already tied with, um, with John Beeline's career at Michigan in transfer additions. Now, Beeline had a lot of transfer departures, but at transfer additions, the only ones that come to mind are Duncan Robinson, Charles Matthews, and Jerron Simmons. And oh, granted, yeah. granted, it is a different time now with, with the portal. Beeline didn't really have to deal with the portal in the same capacity. But I think I think it's notable that that Juwan Howard isn't shying away from it, and I think I think it says one, as you pointed out, I don't think they're totally content with where they're at heading into next season. I think wherever, however good they are, or however good they were going to be, I think Juwan Howard feels like his program can be better, and so that's that's significant. I think he is looking at a team that has four seniors. That will be the most seniors Michigan has had on scholarship, I should say. Um, on scholarship, I want to say since the 2012 season. I, I'll, I'll double check on that one, but usually it's only one or two guys that make it all the way to the end because of NBA departures, because of transfers. Um, you know, they're going to have Eli Brooks, Mike Smith, Austin Davis, and Isaiah Livers if he comes back. I guess I that might be some uncertainty there, but my, my current hunch would be that he comes back based on very little, but based on his comments from last month about how he wants, he, he wants a guaranteed contract or else he's coming back to Michigan right now. I don't think he's in position to get a guaranteed contract. He would have to move up anyway, a lot of seniors on the team. So that's part of it. But I think this is, this is notable because no jelly Eastern. There was a lot of communication. We'll talk about him in a moment, by the way. But there was a lot of communication with Michigan. You know, Mike Smith, there was some, some um, under, not under the radar, but, you know, it was kind of like he reached out to Jimmy Butler, who played for the, plays for the Heat, and kind of got a sense of what Juwan Howard was like. I do think there was some Chicago connection there, too. Shondi Brown, I know, I know he played AAU ball for a Miami team. Uh, but he's from Orlando. I don't believe he's visited Michigan's campus before. I, I I wonder if he'll he'll end up talking about what compelled him to commit to Michigan. Not that he'd visited the other schools either, but uh, sight unseen commitments. That is 
That is uh, unique. And, and so I guess it's a, it's a recruiting win for Jawan Howard. I, we'll, we'll find out more in the coming days, you know, how he pulled this off. But um, I, I still think he can communicate with players in a way that a lot of coaches can't. You know, as a former player, former college player, former NBA player, I, I really think that's, that's something that is he, – he, I think he understands how to grasp it better than a lot of former players who are coaches too. I think I think it can be hard sometimes to to kind of level with players in the way that Juwan Howard is, and I think I think in this case it paid off. I mean, maybe, well, I, I don't know. I'd have to look at each individual case with these other schools. You know, Michigan. If you commit to Michigan, you you like your odds of being making the NCAA tournament, right? You like your odds of at least having a chance to go pro because of how many draft picks they've produced. And then, of course, you know, if he, he went to Wake Forest, which is a pretty academically sound school. Uh, Michigan's academically sound. But still, to me, it's not quite a, I don't know if you can call it a recruiting win, but it kind of is. I mean, they were, they were, Brown already had a top four set, and Michigan swoops in at the last second and wins it. Any, any thoughts on, on what, what can be gleaned from now Juwan Howard's third recruiting win of this cycle? Uh, just that, yeah, I think the the relationship, you know, you got to think with these transfer guys, especially they still have aspirations to get to the pro level. So I think it is another area much like, I think, you know, I think the one and done deal, I know Michigan got burned there, uh, with Todd and Christopher, but, but still, I think if it's a prospect who's going to stay and play within the college, you know, within the college ranks for a year, I think Howard's always going to have a shot with those types because again, a lot of these guys look at it as a ticket to the pros um, or, or not as a ticket, but they know they're only going to be there for one year, whether it's the right decision or not. So they want to put themselves in the best possible scenario to maximize their, their stock, I suppose, uh, heading into that the next year's draft. And I think you can look at it pretty similarly with these transfer types who only have a year or two left where it's like, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I want to win, but I, I, this is my last shot to find a place that can develop me into a potential professional player. So I think Howard's going to have a lot of, uh, cachet, I suppose, in, in those types of situations as well. So, you know, I think that's a big thing. I mean, yeah, think about, I mean, what they were a finalist for what three or four other transfer types too, that they were. Yeah. They Justin Kyer, Jalen Coleman lands, uh, I think. We'll talk a little bit about him. I mean, I, I Bryce yeah. Aiken, weren't they a finalist for him too? Yeah, yeah, they were. And and I guess technically they were like a semifinalist for Seth Towns. Yeah. I, I think I think that was always going to be Ohio State. But sure. um sure. Yeah. No, I mean and and they've been finalists before. I, I get where fans are kind of like, I don't really care if Michigan's a finalist for this recruit or this transfer. Um, but I think it I mean, they don't they don't list every school that calls a finalist. Yeah, it matters. Right. I mean, it matters. <laughs> yeah, it's it still no, but it does. It matters. You know, if you're consistently a finalist in a bunch of different recruiting races, at the very least, it means that you have an attractive pitch. You know, right. and, and uh, to me, that means at the end of the day, you're still usually going to end up with something that resembles something that you wanted. You know, will it be your number one? We always get your number one guy. No, but you 
you could probably get like your third and your fifth guy or something, let's say, which maybe this might be what happened, what's happening right now with Michigan. You know, I suspect they probably – I think Aiken was – wasn't Aiken kind of looked at as the top transfer target of the cycle? Or I think he and um, – well, ta- yeah, yeah, you're right. Towns, Aiken was right? high, but Town, Towns is probably number one. Right. Uh, he's from Columbus. I know, I know he liked Michigan as a high school recruit, but I think there was a little bit of, you know, coming home, returning to Columbus right. for another season. Plus, Ohio State, from my understanding, based on the departures they had, had a lot of playing time to offer. Um, Aiken was up there, another one who, who kind of went home. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he really liked Seton Hall as a high school recruit, but they weren't that good of a program when he was a high school recruit and he's from the New Jersey area. So a little bit of that, but other than that, I mean, you know, Justin Kyer, I don't know enough about, about his situation. Uh, I know Georgia's a lot closer to his hometown than Michigan is, but yeah, they were in and in on a lot of these races, which speaks to one, Juwan Howard's aggressiveness on this and two, that there was at least mutual interest multiple times and that's that's yep. something that I mean, you know, Javon Howard. I think we're we're almost celebrating. Celebrating. We're almost. We've almost reached the one year mark of him on the job. It's. Uh, I mean, he's he's making an impact early on the recruiting trail. Yeah, zero doubt about that. Like I said, I think. You know, you're doing things right if you're in the race. Mm-hmm. You know, and look over there right now. Looks like that. Well, they have. We think two additions. Yeah, actually, before right. we before we continue with that, let's let's pause real quick for a word from our sponsors, and then and then we'll discuss kind of what what happens next if we turn the page, looking at tomorrow, the next day, things like that. Okay, and we're back, and I didn't I didn't mean to cut you off, Steve, but but because um, I do want to do want to make allow this to be a separate discussion. Yeah, looking ahead. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's there's lots of lots of different angles, lots of different things going around. Uh, but but some of your, if I could let you continue your thought on on what's next. All right, like I said, I'd, you know, we think we have two additions for Michigan coming in. You know, the biggest thing is for me: do both of those additions actually come to fruition? And number two, is there another? potential guy out there that they would still look to add. I don't know what the numbers are at right now. Uh, I suspect for scholarship would, numbers. Yeah. Are they done? Are they if even? Eastern is in the class? Cause I mean, we, it's an elephant in the room, but there's, there's speculate. No one knows what's going on. Well, I shouldn't say no one knows. There's, there's some uncertainty with no gel Eastern's commitment. Uh, mostly. I think it just stems from the fact that they've gone kind of dark. I know M lives. Andrew Khan uh, got no gel Eastern's mom on the phone uh, today and basically asked her point blank, is he committed to Michigan? And she said, we have no comment at this time. I don't, I, I think we'd prefer to err on the, the end, end of under speculating on a podcast like this, but certainly there is some uncertainty or at least confusion. Maybe there's no uncertainty and they're just being, you know, they're just not talking to the media. Uh, Steve, I know you've been, you've been around this industry long enough to know that sometimes they just don't want to talk to the media. Uh, and so, but there's some, and, and until Michigan acknowledges it, I think that there will be speculation 
and acknowledges it, meaning like they do a press release um, discussing the transfer, which for Mike Smith, it took them two weeks to do. Right. They waited until, I'm guessing they waited until he was admitted into whichever graduate program he's in, uh, you know, with Brown and Eastern, maybe it's also an admission. I'm not saying that they would be of any concern not to be admitted, but just kind of like you don't talk about recruits until they sign the letter of intent, that kind of deal. So if they, if Eastern's in the class and assuming there are no other departures and assuming livers comes back, they're at 13 scholarship players. Right. If, if Eastern is not a part of the class or, there is another departure. I think, I think fans are used to this at this point. You know, don't, you never know who, who could depart, but, but I, I, don't, I don't expect anyone to at this point. This, this, this is even later. I mean, this is, we're almost two weeks later than Cole Badgema, which we thought was very late in the process. Uh, but if there is room for another spot, I got to think, um, Steve, you, you're welcome to weigh in or, or disagree. I think Jalen Coleman lands would be a perfect fit. I mean, he, he liked Michigan out of high school. He's visited campus pretty academically um, geared individual. I know, I know he's, he's always been really bright, but I think, you know, he's, he's been pretty clear. He wants to study business and entrepreneurship wherever he goes for his fifth year uh, coming from DePaul, but he also played for Illinois basically averaged, between nine, eight, eight and a half and 11 points a game his entire career. Uh, so pretty high floor. I don't, and, and he's two guard. He's a two guard. So he could help ease, you know, the transition, uh, help, help Zeb Jackson, maybe, maybe grow into the college game at his own speed versus uh, being thrown into the fire a little bit. I think he would make, he would make perfect sense. I don't know. And I've, I've looked, I've looked, I don't know, Mac McClung, I know everyone's fascinated by him because he's, he's pretty, pretty darn good. I assume every school in the country is interested in him in some capacity. I don't know if there's anyone else that would be, I don't mean to mean this in a bad way, but that would be worth a, a strong pursuit from Michigan. There aren't too many other guards that are getting lots of high major interest. And so I don't know if there's anyone else. I think Jalen Coleman lands makes a ton of sense, but there's also not currently a spot. So um, as far as what's next, it, it might be nothing, but I, I'm also not going to say it's nothing because as we've learned, I mean, a year ago, John Beeline left the left Michigan, right? So, so there's no, really no guarantees in the college basketball offseason anymore, but um they did fill out after all the talk about, oh, they're going to have too many players on scholarship, and then it's way too few, and then they, they, they're, they're back up to 13, uh, and then we'll see what happens next. Yeah, I mean, my, so you talked about uh, experience in the industry. People don't want to do interviews. My experience is that if they really don't want to do interviews, they don't even pick up the phone in the first place. So fair. That's fair. Uh, to pick so, up the phone and say no comment is just an interesting any anything me. you so so that's never happened to you um i don't think i've ever gotten no commented to be honest with you uh, i've probably i mean i've gotten the run around on getting an answer maybe that i'm sure. looking for but never you know it's much more like uh you know either recruits or their parents or their coaches don't want to talk period so then they don't answer 
a DM or a text or a phone call. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the most common deal. So yeah, for me, it's just a little odd to pick up the phone just to say no comment. Right. Because that, so, that could be something you could just do via text message, to be honest with you. There's really no reason to pick up the phone, I suppose. But well, uh, I was going to say, I, I hate picking up the phone these days with all the with all the different telemarketers and, yeah. and attempted scams. It's like, if I, if I don't, if I haven't communicated with someone beforehand or if I don't know who the number is, pretty good chance I just don't answer. But but just to to make sure we get this right, Andrew Khan tweeted, I asked Noja Eastern's mom, um, Tamala, Tamala Reed, via phone, if she or Nojel would be willing to discuss his recent tweet announcing that he had joined the Michigan basketball program. We have no comment at this time, she said. Same answer when asked to confirm that he joined the team. So maybe... Yeah, I mischaracterized not, it a little bit. That's that's right. probably a little bit more common. Okay. Right? It's it not was, that bad then. Yeah. Yeah. It was really being asked, um, would you be willing to comment? The answer can be no. No comment at this time. Um, and then he clarified that too, uh, kind of noting there's also some moving parts. If Eastern still declared for the NBA draft and he hasn't withdrawn his name, um, you know, maybe they don't want to comment in that regard. And, and so there's a few things. I mean, Eastern did tweet that he was committed to Michigan. So there's been at least one comment. And that's right, that's right. a notable that's, one. <laughs> that's kind of the thing I keep uh, leaning on is, well, he he told us he was committed to Michigan. So. <laughs> right. And, and yeah, I mean, that's can't get too much more public comment than that. But still, um, I guess it's it's interesting and and it's unfortunate that it's th- that there's this much speculation about it. So, so we'll, we'll probably siphon it off there. Uh, Steve, I guess your thoughts on, on this team as is let's, you know, handicapping, understand that maybe these player Eastern and Brown have to wait a year, but you do have, you have at, at the guard position, you have, you know, Mike Smith, you have Eli Brooks, you have Zeb Jackson, you have Adrian Nunez uh, kind of in that two guard role at the, on the wing. You have Franz Wagner, you have Jace Howard, you have Terrence Williams. Um, I'm missing, I guess, Adrian Nunez, too. Am I missing? That's one area where they've lost a little bit of their depth. Um, Isaiah Livers can play the three uh, on occasion. At the forward position, you have Williams, you have Johns, you have Livers. Uh, Maybe, I mean, Austin Davis played there uh, on occasion. And then at center, you have... Dickinson, Hunter Dickinson, Brandon Johns, I think is a small ball five. I actually like him at the five. I don't know if he likes playing there. I actually like, I I think he's done a really nice job when he's been asked to play that role. And then Austin Davis Uh, thoughts on this team, you know, knowing that maybe the transfers won't be immediately eligible, but knowing that they could be, I guess, where do you assess this team in terms of the big 10 and in the country? They're intriguing, right? I think that's Mm -hmm. the, the best you know, because it's, it's, you start looking at like, you know, what if a guy like Mike Smith acclimates himself really well, you know, um, especially, I know he has a long ways to go defensively, it sounds like, but even from an offensive standpoint, you already have Brooks kind of as, as a potential stopper at the one, if you need it. Um, you know, I, I just, and again, I, I continue to be bullish on Wagner in year two. Yeah, as a potential like all American type hmm. candidate, if the if well, 
Again, that's if they play, put defense into consideration. I mean, his defensive ability last year improved by leaps and bounds in the second half of the season. Um, that that stuff that we would read or hear about about him, like kind of knowing what was going to happen before it happened type stuff, we started to see that on the court a lot, both on both ends, but even almost more so defensively. Couple that with what I think will be an improvement in his perimeter shooting. And I just think he's got some major, major potential. We assume Livers comes back, who might be your best player on day one. And you know, and you add a couple, a, an intriguing recruiting class, mixed along, mixed in potentially with at least one other transfer. Let's just say Brown is eligible right away. Let's say, for instance, you know, I think they have the makings of a pretty interesting unit next year. I think one that I think one that could contend in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think they'll be. I mean, I think they're a tournament team. We'll start there. Do they make the tournament? I, I do. Uh, I think they're returning three double-digit scorers, including two guys in in Livers and Wagner, who I think could be NBA draft picks. As far as you know, where they stand in the Big Ten and, and contending for that, Iowa and Wisconsin, I think, do have a a step ahead. I mean, they return. I think, I don't believe either of them are losing a starter and they were better than Michigan was this past year. So, so I don't know if they quite catch them. I, you know, Michigan state, Indiana, Ohio state, and I, maybe a, a Purdue. I think those two in Illinois, actually Illinois might return just about everybody too. When it's all said and done, I think Michigan's in that second tier with those teams. And and where they where they stand in that tier really depends on the developments Franz Wagner makes, you know, the developments Isaiah Livers makes, and and what kind of fit as you mentioned, someone like Mike Smith is. Uh, really, if in the rotation, other than the two guard, which I feel like we've talked about in like five episodes this spring, really the only position where I I don't feel like Michigan has a pretty high floor in would be center just because I don't know. We don't know what Hunter Dickinson will look like. I don't know what Austin Davis looks like in a increased role. Um, just, you know, looking at his defense, his foul rate, his scoring versatility. Cause he, he showed to be pretty efficient scoring, but it was like the exact same shot every time pretty much. And so, and that's not meant to disparage him, but just, I, we don't know. We, he hasn't been asked to do more than what he's done. And we don't know what he looks like when he's asked to do more. I think that's that's how I would put it. And so there's there's some variance, but I do think I mean how many teams how many teams are returning three double digit scorers in the Big Ten? It's probably not a ton. I do think they move up. Last year they were what in the eight nine game. As of right now, not knowing, you know who's who steps up. I do think the Big Ten is losing some of the some of the the big names. You know, the, the Anthony Cowan, Cassius Winston, uh, you know, Michigan State, Xavier Tillman, Aaron Henry. Uh, there's there, there's attrition everywhere, and I do think Michigan, if Livers comes back, I think they're sitting in that kind of maybe four through six range in the Big Ten, and that's probably a top twenty five team. You know, but what what come what goes from there? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows because we don't exactly know about the eligibility. We don't know about 
um, you know, other, other things that are you know, either attrition's additions, either for Michigan or for other teams. But as you said, it's, it's going to be interesting. This is a very interesting team to watch. There are some, there are some parts of it where you're like, I, I could see a Michigan fan being like, Oh yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Yeah. Let's do that. And then there are some parts with like, Oh, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how they defend, you know, player X or player Y or how they score against this team. So lots of moving parts, but we will be podcasting every step of the way. If there's ever any other news, you know, you can, you can go back and listen to our other podcast. We actually mentioned Shondi Brown a couple times, but now they have him. They appear to have no Jell Eastern. They have Mike Smith. They have, they have the rest of their team. They're up to, uh, you know, their scholarship limit. And now the, now they get to work, right? Now they get to work on creating this team into, into what they think it can be. I don't, I don't know what Joan Howard's expectations are, uh, but, but certainly I'm sure within the program, they're very high. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard or if you liked the podcast, be sure to, to throw it a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we are available on all the major podcast networks, so be sure to check those out if, if you haven't yet. Be sure to read all of our stories over at the MichiganInsider.com and Michigan.247sports.com. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.